0: The night that the angel announced that the Messiah had been born to these shepherds who are out in the fields watching their their flocks, and they got to go and see the baby Jesus, the the incarnation, God in the flesh, right right there in the manger. And friends, I hope you know this, that that there's gonna come a day that we too, like the shepherds, will get to lay our own eyes on the Messiah. It will be like what the apostle Paul said to. Titus. In his letter to Titus, he said in chapter 2, Live an upright and godly life while we wait for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, he's coming again. He's coming again. And one day, our very own eyes will lay sight to the Messiah. And what a glorious day that will be. Anybody else in here looking forward to that besides me? I am. Well, Welcome to New Life Christian Church. It's truly wonderful to come together um, tonight to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. And let's be honest, it is easy to lose sight of what the true meaning of Christmas is in our great country of America with all the hustle and bustle. That's true, isn't it? I read about a woman who was doing some last-minute Christmas shopping one time, and she chose to do this at the local mall, and it was crowded, as you can imagine. And she'd been there for hours and been to just about every store, and she was tired, and, and uh, she was tired of the line. She was tired of the crowd. She was tired of walking, and she was walking through the mall with... with huge bulky bags underneath all of her arms. And and she was waiting for the elevator door to open because there's no way she could make it down the stairs or the escalator with everything that she had. And then the elevator goes ding and the door opens and it's completely jam packed full of people. We've been there, right? Well, she's tired of waiting. And so she just moves right in and, and people are kind of grudgingly, kind of moving and making space for her. And she, she squeezes in there and that small space and the door closes, and, and after the door closes, she just blurts this out out of frustration. She says, "Whoever's responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up and shot," she said. And there was a few people on the elevator that felt the same way and kind of gave her an approving grunt. "Uh-huh. And then there was this one voice from the back of the elevator that said this, "Don't worry." They've already crucified him. It's easy to lose sight of the true meaning of Christmas, especially during this season. I would argue that we should not lose sight. I would say in every season we should never lose sight of Jesus, but especially right here at Christmas. And at New Life, we have been focusing on the arrival of Jesus these last few weeks, specifically. You know, what is it that Jesus brought to the earth and made available to each and every one of us when he arrived in the little town of Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago? What did he bring? That's what we've been looking at as a church family. And we learned a few weeks ago that when Jesus came, when he arrived, he brought joy. And that's what the angel announced. I bring you good news of great joy. And that is a joy that started that night and has been extending out to each and every one of us. It's available to us today. We also learn that when Jesus arrived, he brought peace. Specifically, he is called the Prince of Peace, just like the prophet foretold. That's what he was all about. And then today, I want us to look at one more thing that arrived when Jesus came. He brought joy, he brought peace, but he brought something else. You know what it is? He brought love. He brought love. It sounds simple, but let's explore what the Bible says. Jesus himself is the very expression of God's love for us. Now, if you'd like to turn to 1 John chapter 4, you can, or you can just look on the screens behind me, but this is how we know that that is true. That Jesus is the very expression of God's love because it says this this is how God showed his love among us. How did he do it? He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Well, that's one of those powerful little verses that we should all commit to memory. How did God show his love? He sent Jesus. So this little baby lying in a manger, being visited by the shepherds that one night is the very expression of God's love for you and for me and everyone else who has ever lived. Those inspired words were written by uh, a man named John. He was one of Jesus's original 12 disciples and he himself in this verse echoes very closely the very words that Jesus said himself. John chapter three, uh, three sixteen. Perhaps the most famous verse in the entire Bible. Jesus said, "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life." You're familiar with that one, aren't you? For God so loved the world. All right, that He gave His one and only Son. Now, in this context, when He says that God so loved. The world, that is not a reference to planet Earth. That's not a ref. That's not Jesus saying, you know, God loved the land and the vegetation and the oceans and the animals and the birds. He loved those things so much. That's not what it's saying. Although I do believe scripture indicates that God very much loves his creation. After he created, he looked at everything and what did he say multiple times? It is good. I think God loves what he created. But that's not what Jesus is referring to. Because when Jesus said, for God, so love the world, he's not return, referring to a planet. He is referring to the supreme of all his creation, what he created in his own image. The world is you and me. It's people. So when God loved the world, he loved us. And that's what Jesus was saying. So the arrival of Jesus was the very expression of God's love for us. But it is even more than that. Because Jesus' own life was the vehicle in which God's love remains in us throughout our lifetime and on into eternity. If you look at the very next verse of what we just read, 1 John 4.10, it says this. This is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The arrival of Jesus was not prompted by mankind's love for God. This is a very important fact that we need to be very well aware of. People didn't love God so much that God's heart was touched and he said, look at how they love me and you know, I'm gonna come to them. That, that's not how it happens. The world's attitude towards God then and throughout generations has been very much the opposite, anything but love. The arrival of Jesus was prompted solely on God's love for us. Not our love for him, but his love for us. God loved us, he sent his son, and what this verse says as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atoning is, is simply a word that's referencing forgiveness or the means of forgiveness. It falls in line with that similar thinking or similar language of of reconciliation or becoming righteous before God. If you like to just break it down, simply put these two verses together saying that God loved us so much that he expressed that love for us by sending Jesus, but his love did not stop there, even though the world never loved him back, didn't love him back at all, and they showed that they didn't care for God by their worldliness, even though that was there, despite it. Jesus sacrificed himself, himself for us to save us from our sins. So when Jesus arrived in the little town of Bethlehem, what was lying in the manger was more than just a bundle of joy for Joseph and Mary, but a huge bundle of God's love for the entire world. That's what the, the, that's what the shepherds saw when they came to visit Jesus on that night. And do you know what you and I are supposed to do with that? I Maybe mean, what do I do with that kind of love, that expression of love to us? What's the response? Now, that sounds like a very simple question, It sounds like that would be an easy question to answer, but it really isn't, because if you know in our world today, with all the hurt and with all the brokenness that exists here, just look at our world. Not everybody knows what to do with that kind of love in this world. Not everyone knows today how to respond to somebody's love or somebody's grace or somebody's forgiveness or somebody's generosity. We see that when children at times, we see that in in, in adults. How do you respond when somebody bestows so much grace and love towards you? It's not as easy. What are we supposed to do with this level of love God's extended towards us? You know, I have a, a good friend who is a missionary in Honduras. And Honduras is a very beautiful country if you've been there. But it is also one of the poorest countries in the world. And my friend who's a missionary there, he serves in some of the poorest of the poorest areas of Honduras. He goes way out in the country and he ministers to people in little villages and little towns, little, you know, little areas that don't even show up on a map. These are areas that are very primitive. Most of the areas he ministers in has no electricity, no running water. They don't have access to a lot of clean water. So yes, there's a lot of sickness. Sanitation is a real problem. And even the most basic of things are very primitive where he goes. And I've been with him on several different trips to to Honduras to work in his ministry. And one of the things that we always do when we're there is we stuff our pockets full of candy. Now, that's not a hard challenge for me. But we stuff our pockets full of candy, and everywhere we go, people we meet, interact with, we extend to them a simple offer of a piece of candy. And it seems simple enough but that expression of generosity and, and that, that expression of just, this is for you, and I don't expect anything back from you. I just want to give you this piece of candy oftentimes is met with a puzzled look on the recipient's face. We see this not only in kids, but we see this in adults as well, and, and that was puzzling to me. like what? It's, it's, an odd, it's an odd thing to see somebody not know what you're trying to do for them. So I asked my friend, who's the missionary there, and I, I said, I'm kind of surprised that so the first time I was there that we're kind of getting these looks and it's very puzzled. They don't understand that we're just offering them a piece of candy. And he said, well, here's what you need to know about the people we're working with. The look you're getting is the response. They don't know how to respond because they're not used to ever get, getting anything. Big or small. Life is very hard out here, as you can see. They don't know exactly what to do with something that is given with nothing expected in return. Even a little piece of candy is a luxury to them. And for it to be just given to them, is just, it's just not something they experience very often. And they don't know immediately what to do with that expression of, uh, of, of, uh, of that gift. I think about that and I think about what is our response to what God has given to us? What, what is our response to God's love that he's lavished on us? His kindness, his generosity, his forgiveness. What is God? How does God want us to respond to that, to this baby then lying in a manger who brought love into the world? It's the expression of God's love for us through Jesus. What do we do with that? Well, the very next verse tells us in verse 11, it says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Our response to God's love through Jesus Christ is simply this. We are to believe. We are to believe everything from his arrival to his death and his resurrection from the dead. We are to believe it. That's one of our responses. But did you know that we are not saved because we love Jesus Christ? The Bible says we're not saved because we love Jesus. We are saved by believing on Jesus. It says in John 3, 16, for whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So our response is to believe. Believe. And then once we believe, and once we realize and have come to understand the fullness of the cross, then our normal response to that, to that is to love God right back and to also love one another, especially those who are a part of God's family. So God showed His love by sending Jesus. Love itself is from God, and love brought salvation through the cross. And our response is to have faith and to love others. If you were to go back a couple verses to verse 7, it says this. Dear friends, let let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we look about, what did Jesus bring? The arrival of Jesus brought joy, joy to the world. The arrival of Jesus brought peace. What kind of peace? Peace with God, that we can live in complete harmony with God, that our sins are not the problem anymore. And what else did arrive with Jesus? This incredible demonstration of God's love for us. And what is our response to that? Our response is to believe and to turn around and love others with the same kind of love that Christ loved towards us then I wonder, will that be the heart of your Christmas celebration this year? This idea of joy and peace and God's love. Is that what we talk about when we're around the Christmas tree? Is that what we talk about with our family and friends? Is that the centerpiece of our celebration or is it something else? You know, I was reading not too long ago about how other countries around the world celebrate Christmas and i was struck really by how the country of japan celebrates christmas I, I did a little reading i i learned that christmas has become a major holiday in the country of japan i mean they put up decorations that look very similar to right here in america they do exchange presents they send cards they sing yuletide songs they decorate trees they they eat seasonal treats They make a big fuss over St. Nick and Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all of it. Their Santa Claus is sometimes dressed as a samurai warrior, but other than that, it's pretty close. Every Christmas, I was really shocked to learn this, every Christmas an estimated 3.6 million Japanese families get their holiday meal from none other than Kentucky Fried Chicken. Look it up, that's true. Somehow, at some point back in the day, this became a tradition and it's one of the most sacred traditions that embody the celebration of Christmas in that country. The demand for Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas is so high that people start placing their order six weeks in advance and they will wait in line for hours to get their Kentucky Fried Chicken. So in short, doing Christmas the Japanese way means the visit to the colonel. And that's what that means. But the one thing that the Japanese do not do at Christmas is honor Christ at all. And that's because nearly 99% of Japan is either Shinto or Buddhist. There was a missionary uh, in Japan who was asked one time by uh, a local there that. They said, is Christmas Santa's birthday? They didn't know. Only half of 1% of Japan's population is Christmas. So where in the world did they get their ideas from, of Christmas from? Right here, the good old U.S. of A. They were attracted to the glitter and the romance of the American version of Christmas, and they have adopted Just about everything except the spiritual significance of Christmas. I pray that in our families and in our church, as we celebrate Christmas, we don't forget the spiritual significance of what this is all about especially this Monday night and into Tuesday as we eat food and open presents and are with our family. I pray that all of it is the sole result of the arrival of the Messiah who brought joy, who brought peace, and who brought love, an everlasting love that sustains us through this life and on into eternity. That's what came with Jesus. And that is why we celebrate.